The message I want to uh, give you tonight is, is probably, um, it, it kind of goes along with what I preached about a few Wednesdays ago about Christ when he took the towel and girded himself and washed his disciples' feet. We talked about serving uh, in that message and I won't rehash all of that, but it was about serving others. Tonight's message is is very similar, but it's going to be attacked from a a whole different mindset and a whole different point of view and obviously a whole different set of scriptures. But how many of you you realize this? When there's one uh, subject that's found one place in the Bible... If it's a true Bible doctrine, you can find it many other places in the Scripture. One thing to always be aware of or be aware of is when someone takes a verse many times out of its contextual meaning and they they use that to build some type of teaching... They can't be found anywhere else in the Bible. We need to be beware of that because it's usually false doctrine or false teaching. The word doctrine just simply means something being taught or it means teaching. One reason I like Preacher Malcolm so much is because he goes through the Bible verse by verse. He explains what it means and he gives a lot of other verses to back up the main text that he's preaching about. And when you leave, there's no doubt that you heard from God, from God's Word. Tonight, I want to speak to you about Epaphroditus. That's this this man's name that we're going to read about. And the title of the message is, A Leader Who Didn't Make a Name for Himself. A Leader Who Did Not Make a Name for Himself. You know, when I was, uh, we'll read the the verses in a minute, but I want to give you this as introduction. When I was younger, I had this thing about being a leader all backwards in my mind. I thought that when you, the, the, the better of a leader you became, the less work you would have to do. I thought that being a leader meant a bigger office and, you know, not as many tools in your hand, so to speak. But I was, and that is, in in, by and large, the world's viewpoint of being a leader. But, you know, it's like the, 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 the more important you get, then the more privileged you are. And the, the bigger office you have and the, the less responsibilities, the less menial task you have to do. But when you come to the Bible, you just can't find that. As a matter of fact, even Jesus, which is arguably the best leader there ever was, The Bible says that he didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister. In other words, Jesus, the Son of God, at the height of his leadership, he didn't just boss people around. He took the towel, he took the basin of water, and he himself served humanity. I remember one time when God... Uh, taught me this lesson in a very embarrassing way. Maybe I've shared this uh, here before. I can't remember, but it fits here, so I'm going to share it tonight. I was working in uh, what was really our second ministry. It was the Garden City Rescue Mission in Augusta, Georgia. That ministry, April and I started in, uh, we started April the 4th, of 2001, we opened the doors. 
we were given a, a 14,000 square foot building in downtown Augusta to start a homeless shelter, a rescue mission. And we started that and we worked hard and the first, uh, uh, the first few months we were open one night a week. And then we got some more helpers and we opened two nights a week. It took 18 months before we had that rescue mission open for lodging the homeless and, and, the, and the wayward seven nights a week. It took 18 months to get to that point. And, and we were doing good and it started to grow and God began to bless it. And before long, every single night, we had 50 uh, plus men sleeping in the bunk beds every night and preaching it to them in the chapel services every night. And it was just, it became a big ministry and I was so proud of it. And, you know, I had been to Bible college and everything, so I, I knew in my head what a real leader looked like, but, but somewhere deep down inside, I still kind of had this youthful pride thing that, that told me the longer I stayed there and the, 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 the bigger I built this ministry, well, the more important that I was around there and that other people could kind of do the, the other stuff. I would have never said that out loud because I knew better from college. But have you ever noticed how that Satan can just plant thoughts in your heart? And they're seeds of pride and, and even arrogance. Well, one day, uh, we always had uh, volunteers from the mission that would work the, we called it the front desk. And the front desk was the busy area. You answered the phone, and all day long people came in off the street. And we had three plexiglass windows uh, with a, a hole to talk through and then a place to slide paperwork through. And we had that just out of self-defense because you never know who was going to walk in the building. And at least that plexiglass gave you a little time to run if you needed to. And yes, at some point we all ran because we needed to. It was a common occurrence to have to call the cops, to have to, you know, get all the staff together just so that one person wouldn't try you too much. Well, one day there was nobody there to work on the fr- at the front desk, and so it was, it was me, so I, I got up there, and it was the morning hours, and it was pretty slow. So I'm answering the phone, and I'm talking to people as they come in. And this lady came in, and, uh, and she had a young son that was about eight or nine years old. And I remember she came in the door. We had a lobby and restrooms that anybody could use, and which was a great benefit for the homeless population uh, all hours of the day. And then there was a telephone that they could use. And this lady come in, and I could just tell uh, that she was distraught. You could tell she'd been crying, her, her cheeks were kind of puffy, and, uh, and her son just looked like he wasn't happy, and, and, and she was using the phone. This was back when you had things called phone books. Some of y'all younger folks don't know what that is. Let me humor you. Used to... You had to get this big book, bigger than my Thompson Chain Bible, and look up numbers and call them on a phone that was attached to the wall. (laughs) Imagine that. Well, she's looking through the phone book and making call after call. and, um, And she just starts crying over there. And I'm thinking, oh man... Tara, I was thinking, oh man, I hope she don't come over here and talk to me because I don't want to have to talk to a lady when she's crying. I don't know what I'll say. Well, sure enough, she makes her way over to the glass window that I'm sitting behind. And she says to me through tear-stained eyes, she said, sir, I got evicted yesterday and they put all of my stuff on the curb early this morning, I found another place to live, but it's on the other side of town, 
And me and my son just need to get our stuff from our old place off the curb to the new place. Can you help us? And, you know, I look back now and I really regret my decisions on that day. But I had a, there was a hundred other things to do in the office and whatever. And I just said, well, ma'am, I, just to be real honest with you, I, it's me here pretty much alone. I, I just don't have the time. I'm sorry. And she went, okay. She said, can I, can I just use the phone some more? Absolutely. So she goes and she makes some more calls. And I'm doing whatever I'm doing at the counter. And a few minutes later, she comes back to the window. And her, I'll never forget, her little boy is standing right beside her, just kind of looking up at this conversation. And she said to me, she said, Sir, I, I just really need to get this stuff. If I don't get it before the garbage people come, they're going to throw it all away. And it's all we have. And I said, ma'am, I, I told you already, it just, I, it's not something I can help you with. And she said, well, what about that big truck out there? Couldn't you just drive that and help me? At that time, we had a thrift store. And, and we had like this 25-foot-long box truck, like a U-Haul. And it was for, you know, picking up donations for the thrift store and all this and that and, And I said, well, yeah, that's our truck and everything, but it's just, it's not for moving people's furniture. It's just, ma'am, I'm sorry. We just don't have the ability to do that right now. And then this is what she said. She said this. She said, well, if you can't help me, where's Brother Travis? That's my name. And I said, well, that caught me off guard. I said, well, why do you want to know? And she said, because three people done told me on the street that if I would just come here and talk to Brother Travis, he's a good man and he'll help me. Yeah, slap in the face. And she said these words. Well, before that, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? You know, can I get up and go and act like he's not here? Or what do I do? But basically, now I'm under conviction because I could have helped her real easy. And my reputation was that I would help her. And now I got to tell her I'm him. I'll never forget the look on her face when I said, well, actually, I'm Travis. And she wasn't mean. She wasn't belligerent. She was just disappointed. She said this. She said, really? They told me you were a man of God and would help me. And there that little boy was just taking it all in. And I said, ma'am, if, if you'll give me a minute, I'm going to make what they said good. I'm going to find the keys to the dump truck. I'm going to find a helper, and we're going to get your stuff moved. And you know what? It li- literally took me and a, another guy that was at the mission 45 minutes And we were back at the mission. That's all it took. It took me 45 minutes, but for her, it it changed her whole week. It changed her whole month, probably. And I hope that it saved my testimony. You see, I thought being a leader meant you didn't do that kind of stuff anymore. But reality, in reality, being a leader, it means that you actually care enough 
to love people enough to meet their needs if you at all can. It doesn't mean that you jump at everybody's call. It doesn't mean that, and don't y'all start calling me to move furniture now because I'm, a, I'm on to you if you try that. But me and uh, Shane and Tara moved a lady into a, an apartment or a trailer a couple weeks ago. And while I was driving down the road with that furniture on the trailer behind my truck that, that was built for our ministry, I thought about that story. And I thought, you know what? I've been in the ministry now for 20 years. And I'm still moving furniture for people. And you know what? Now I realize helping somebody like that is one of the greatest privileges I get to do. Let me read you a few verses and we'll just walk through this. The scripture says in verse 25 of Philippians 2, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. The book of Philippians was, of course, written by the Apostle Paul to the church, the local church that was in the city of Philippi. And Paul started this church on his second missionary journey. Remember the story in the Bible about uh, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 16, I think it is, when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, but then at midnight uh, uh, the, the Lord, they began to sing praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and God caused a great earthquake and the prison doors opened and all that great stuff happened. And then the Philippian jailer came in and he was going to commit suicide by falling on his sword. But Paul said, hey, 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 don't harm yourself. Do thyself no harm. We're all here. And the Philippian jailer was astonished that they hadn't fled. And he fell down. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, that man, the Philippian jailer, and then Lydia, who was the seller of purple in the 16th chapter of Acts, they became the nucleus of this church at Philippi that Paul started. And now, some years later, the Apostle Paul is writing back to this church. And Epaphroditus is mentioned here in this second chapter. This is the only place in the Bible that we are certain that Epaphroditus is talked about or mentioned. Some people think it's, he, Epaphroditus is the same man as the man Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 18, but we don't have any solid proof other than the Scripture says they're very alike in their, in their Christianity and the way they served. But I want you to know this, Epaphroditus was a leader in that church. He's a leader that is remembered in the Scriptures, but he was not a big shot. He was not a big wig. He didn't have, some people, some scholars think, that he was the pastor of that church. But again, as far as we know, there's no solid biblical evidence to say he was anything other than a great church member. But here's what he did. He led and he made a difference 
and he did not make a big deal about himself. Now I want you to know this. Every Christian here tonight, every one of us, from the youngest to the eldest, we can lead and be leaders where God has placed us if we will adopt the character traits that Epaphroditus possessed in these verses. Let me give you the first one. Here's your first blank. The first character trait is that he was a people lover. He loved people. He was a people lover. We know this because the Apostle Paul calls him a minister. A minister. The Scripture tells us that this man was somebody who cared deeply about others. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he felt distressed that the Philippians, the people in the church, might be worried about him when he became sick. This man Epaphroditus, let me set the table for you. What he did is he was a leader in his church. He made a difference. And when Paul, at the end of, toward the end of his life, when Paul finally made it to Rome, like Preacher preached about uh, in the Book of Acts series, uh, and he was imprisoned and all of that, Epaphroditus came and brought special items that the Apostle Paul needed to bring him relief. There's no doubt that he brought a love offering from the church at Philippi. He probably brought food. He might have brought a coat or some other things. And he came and he ministered to the Apostle Paul. And he also ministered to the church at Philippi where he was a member. What can we take from that? He genuinely loved people. Let me read to you verse 26. Here's what Paul says about him. He says, for he longed after you all. And was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. When he went to help the Apostle Paul, he got sick. Now now remember, he didn't jump on a, a, a regional jet and zoom over to Rome. He didn't get in his car uh, and, and take the interstate. It was probably a long journey. It was probably a treacherous journey. He may have not ate good himself. Uh, the elements can beat you up in that day especially. And so when he got there, he's sick. And word got back to the people that were in the church that he has fallen sick and he's in dire need. We'll find out later that he almost died. And so now the church members are worried about him. And this sounds like my mother. He was worried that they were worried. (laughs) Isn't that a stark difference to how most people just don't give a rip today? Most people today, we're so concerned about ourselves, our own well-being, our own everything, our own future, our own present, our own needs, our own comfort. And here you got this man, Epaphroditus. He just decided that God loved him so much and made such a difference in his life that he would turn around and give that same thing to as many people as he could. Wow, wouldn't that be refreshing today? You know why it would be refreshing? Because it's so rare nowadays. It's so rare. In in verse 26, Paul said he longed after you. That means he was ready to get back so he could minister to the church after he was done ministering to the Apostle Paul in his sufferings. And then it says this, he longed after you in verse 26... And was full of, what's that next word? Heaviness. Heaviness. He was full of heaviness because they heard that he'd been sick. 
That's an interesting term, full of heaviness. As a matter of fact, it's the same exact description that was used of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. Remember in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus takes Peter and James and John, and He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, This is the same night that Judas would betray him and the angry mob would arrest him and he would be taken to Pilate's hall for the mock trial and then the crucifixion on Calvary. And the Bible said he took uh, 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 Peter, James, and John and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says he told them to stay and he went a little farther and prayed and the Bible says he began to be sorrowful and very heavy in his heart. It means to be sorrowful. It means to care so much about something that it literally causes your heart to ache and to hurt He was a very blessed man, uh, Epaphroditus was. He was a very balanced man, but he was also a very burdened man. A burdened man. What was he burdened for? The souls of others. Just like Jesus wept in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his, his sweat became as great drops of blood. Why is that? He was agonizing over the sin that he saw in the cup of suffering that he knew he would soon be drinking. My sin and your sin, he who knew no sin, would become sin. Why? Because for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Full of heaviness. And that's the kind of person that Epaphroditus was. Notice this. How can we become people lovers too? You know, in our time, in our society right now, it's just not fashionable to care about people. I'll tell you what is fashionable. Expose someone else's faults. Call them out. Put them on blast, as they say. Make someone feel as insignificant as you can so that you can feel better about yourself. That's how our society seems to work. But what about if we want to do it God's way? If we want to view others God's way? Well, then we need to consider the needs of others. And that's what Epaphroditus said. Philippians 2 and verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Can I ask you this question? When is the last time that you on purpose, intentionally just tried to be a blessing to somebody. Listen, if you want your heart to be overjoyed, if you want the inside, I'm talking about the part that you lay down with at night and wake up with in the morning knowing, if you want that part to be happy, then you've got to realize, and I have got to realize, that life isn't all about comforting ourselves. Life is about sharing Christ with a lost and broken and hurting and misguided world. And here's the thing. You say, well, they this and they that and they this and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I know. I'm not stupid. I'm not naive. But here's what we got to remember. They, whoever your they is, they're not your enemy. They're your mission field. We have, according to the Bible, we have one enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 calls him out plainly. It's Satan. 
It's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Folks, we are fighting a spiritual warfare. You know what lost people do? They do lost people stuff. They're not the enemy. They're the ones we're supposed to be sharing the love of God with. And if we want to be people lovers, then we have to consider the needs of others. It's shameful to me when I think about that poor lady and her little boy that had a simple need. And if you could have been a fly on the wall that day, then, then, then you would have just thought, well, gee whiz, you're too big for your britches. That's what my mom always used to tell me growing up. She'd say, boy, you're getting too big for your britches. And I always thought she was just senile and didn't know what she was talking about. She's watching right now, I guarantee it, down in Florida. She's watching right now, and she's probably shaking her head. Yeah, you were too big for your britches. Well, you know what? A lot of us in here, we've got so much Bible knowledge. And and, and we feel like we know so much about what's right. That what's really happened is we've become puffed up. And we become too big for our britches. To put it plainly, if we can't pray for someone in their time of need and love a stranger that doesn't do things like we think they ought to do them, if we can't honestly pray, oh God, save their soul and open their eyes. And God, if you want to use me to help them see the the truth of the gospel, if we can't do that with a pure heart, we're way too big for our bridges. And here's the danger in that. You don't want God to go to humbling you. Because then you'll have a little eight-year-old boy and a puffy, red-eyed mama saying, I thought you were a man of God. They told me you loved people. Mm. Can I tell you this? It's a lot easier to take these lessons and learn them in your devotion time and learn them in Bible study time and just decide to live by them and obey them and and believe them. That's a lot easier than having the Lord use some stranger to clobber you upside your head (laughs) unsuspectingly. Amen. If we want to be a people lover, we have to consider the needs of others and and then consider the neglect of others. The neglect of others. I'll promise you this. If you walked out of this building tonight and just made a decision, I'm going to care about people, whether I know them or not. I'm going to start loving people you will be in the minority because most folks neglect people when they have true needs. I was at a a city park a couple weeks ago and I was talking to a lady that's homeless and this particular person is very obvious that she's, she's homeless and she's, it's, the situation is very bad. How many times do you think we've been to see her? A do- two dozen maybe? Times that we've physically visited her? I've noticed a couple of things. Number one, I've noticed the stark, and I, I notice this all the time because it's just, it's just such a stark contrast. Yeah. A lot of times people that are homeless, they will be in... Right where people that aren't homeless are. This particular lady, right there in a city park where kids are playing, moms and dads are, are eating lunch, and people are just having fun. And, and, and it's the stark contrast of, of a person at the, literally the end of the rope and broken in a million pieces, and then little kids having fun and people eating. But here's what I've noticed. I've probably been there two dozen times to visit this one particular person. And folks walk right by. A lot of folks look, 
They keep walking. Some of them don't even look. Maybe they just, you know, I don't notice everything, but, but maybe they just doing their thing. But out of two dozen times, and dozens of people all around, not one time, not once, have I ever seen any individual stop and say, is she all right? Or is he all right? Not once. The other day I was up there and this fellow walked by and he looked at me and he said, you're a good man. And he kept walking. And I thought, well, it's not true. You know, you're not good. You're not a good man just because you try to help someone necessarily. But I thought, well, if you're calling me a good man because I'm trying to help, what are you calling yourself? Because you're just going about your life. Don't misunderstand me. I don't slam all my brakes every time I see someone in need. There's, so I, I tried it. The, the best advice I ever got on that was from Preacher Malcolm. He said, man, you just have to walk close enough with God to where you can discern when God wants you to stop or when God wants you to give or when God wants you to pray or whatever. So I'm not up here trying to guilt trip everybody into, oh, you ain't never stopped and helped some. That's not it. What I'm trying to say is, here's a perfect example of somebody who was a leader, not because of the title on their, uh, the name on the shirt or the title on their desk or the position they held. They were a leader because they took initiative. When they saw a problem, they began to solve it. That's what a leader is. Are you with me? Say amen. He considered uh, the needs of others. He considered the neglect of others. And he considered the necessity of others. Think about this church, folks. We've got to have others. Uh, Family churches eventually die. Churches that are are cliquish eventually die. We can do nothing alone. And I know what you, you might think. You might think, well, man, there's so many people here. They don't need me. That's a lie. That's an excuse not to step up and man up and make a difference. Can I tell you this? Don't ever say something like this well, around church. Well, I, I would hold that door, but that's not my job. That's the, or, or I would help pick up the trash in the bathroom, but that's not my job. People are our job. Amen? And loving them is our job. Here's the question. Do you love people? Let me tell you something. There's extra grace required people. Say amen. There's people when my cell phone rings, I say, oh, oh. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I get that. I really do. But when I roll my eyes and go, oh, man, that's a good clue that that's a place where the Lord wants me to bend and love someone. I can't always fix it. I can't always make it better. I can't always whatever. But the truth be told, I can always typically answer and try to bring a little comfort, try to bring a little hope, try to brighten up someone's day and try to share Christ with them. Amen. Remember this. The decisions they make, that's on them. But the decisions we make, that's on us. Let me give you another one. Hey, by the way, Jesus loved people, didn't he? Remember the woman at the well? She she was in bad shape. 
socially and morally. Jesus went out of her way and he, he won her to himself. Remember the woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8? She was worse than the woman at the well. Maybe they worked together, so to speak. I don't know. But he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He forgave her sin. And time and time again, how about, how about when Stephen was being stoned? And he said, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. How about when Jesus was hanging on the cross, being crucified, and he looked at the very ones that crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How about Paul? He loved people. He was more interested in winning the Philippian jailer to, to Christ than he was interested in escaping. Why? Because he loved people. And you can go on and on. Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of them loved people. Why? They forsook their livelihood to become fishers of men. Let me move on. Character trait number one, he was a people lover. Number two, he was a risk taker. Epaphroditus was a risk taker. What makes someone a leader? When they're willing to step out and take a risk. You know what most of us want to do? We want to play it so safe so we don't get in trouble. (laughs) Epaphroditus was like, man, we got work to do. There's people that need to be loved. There's messages that need to be preached. There's homes that need to be put back together. There's stuff that needs to be done for the cause of Christ. Take a risk. I remember one time I came to Preacher Malcolm for some counseling. He was, I was asking about something, whether I should do it or not. And you know what he told me? He said, well, you know, think about the turtle. The turtle? What's a turtle got to do with this? He said, well, the turtle never gets nowhere until he sticks his neck out. I thought, man, I'm coming to you for some great spiritual counseling, and you talking to me about a turtle sticking his neck out. But it's so true. What he was saying, man, you got you to put yourself out there sometimes. You got to take a chance. You got to take a risk. We took one recently. We were scared to death. But three weeks ago, we signed a contract for that piece of property for the tiny home village. And we had, like, at the time we signed the contract on that Saturday afternoon, we had how much, Chris? 20,000, 18,000? I don't know. Some people that give some money, but that's a long way from 60,000. And I said, we're going to believe God. I didn't have no pen. Now you just sign that stuff on your phone. And we signed it. Because deep down inside, I believed that God wanted us to have that. Now I believed some other stuff over the years deep down inside and it was just... It wasn't God. It was something deep inside of me. But thank God this one was the Lord. Because in, in, in two weeks, God gave us over what we needed. Over what we needed. And I'm the conservative type. I'm the type that doesn't want to, you know, take too many chances. Sometimes, you know, some people, you got to put a bridle on them. You're like, wait a minute, you fixing to get run over. And some people, you got to get behind them and push them. Come on. I'm the kind that has to be pushed sometimes. But the bottom line is, if you want to do anything productive for God, sometimes you have to take a risk. We know he was a risk taker because Paul, in verse 25, I believe it is, he calls him a fellow soldier. He says he's a fellow soldier. 
Soldiers take risks. Soldiers put their life on the line. Soldiers don't play it safe. Soldiers came to fight. Didn't the Apostle Paul say at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight. And, And sometimes we have to fight our flesh. Sometimes we have to fight the devil. Sometimes we got to fight against the the stream of the world. I'm wondering, where's the fighters? Where's the risk takers? How do you do do that? How do you be a risk taker? A, put your cause above your life. And this is kind of like where the rubber meets the road in Christianity. I thought this was something. Look at this. Philippians is such a great book of the Bible. Most people are living in Philippians 2.21. Look at that verse. Philippians 2.21. It says, For all seek their... Their what? Their Their own. Not the things which are Jesus Christ. But Epaphroditus, he wasn't living in chapter 2 and verse 21. He was living his life over in chapter 1 and verse 21. Look at that one. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why he was a leader. He put his cause above his life. You say, oh, preacher, that's kind of reckless. I know it is in our American society. Our Americanized form of Christianity doesn't agree with someone that would lose their life for the cause of Christ. But here's the crazy thing. We have people, Christians... All fired up about giving their life for a hundred other causes. But then calling a missionary that leaves home and goes to a foreign land and spends 40 years winning a tribe of people to Christ and bringing the gospel to the light in the darkness will call them foolish because they wasted their life. There was a famous missionary and he said, he is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now I'm afraid there's too many of us, we're trying to keep what we'll never keep, never be able to keep, but we're losing the only thing that we can take to heaven with us. Are you with me? Say amen. So, he was a risk taker. He, he put his cause above his life. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Most of us seek all these things, and we hope somewhere along the way we'll find the kingdom of God. Yeah. We, Tara and April and I were counseling a couple the other day in our office out at our warehouse. And I told him that verse. And I told him, you're, you're, you're seeking everything in life. And there's one thing you need to seek. And that's God. Amen. And I, I told him, I said, I, I'm not telling you this is a secret formula, but I promise you this. If you'll put Christ first, it, there's no promise that you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to have a great job and, and all your problems are going to be gone. But if you'll put God first... God has said he will take care of the rest as you go. There's another great verse about that. Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I am... Now, now, get this. Paul said this about himself. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Most people want to, when they want to identify with Christ... 
They want to identify with his kingdom. But Paul identified with his crucifixion. Paul said, listen, my life is crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Boy, didn't that sound like a contradiction. If you die, how are you going to live? Paul knew a secret. He knew that the greatest life was the life that was hid with Christ in God. And folks, listen, we've never lived until we have died to the flesh, come alive unto God and said, Lord, I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. I'm not going to lean to my own ways, but in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you. I want you to direct my path. Lord, here we go. Where are we going today? Man, when you can live like that and give all you've got to God and let God worry about the outcome, I promise you that's when life begins. That's when it begins. Notice B underneath this. A true leader will make personal sacrifices. You show me that person at your job that goes the extra mile and doesn't always even mention being compensated for it, I'll show you a leader. Because that person cares a little bit more about a little bit more than just his compensation. He cares about the product or he cares about the people receiving the product or he cares about the people receiving the the service. And if you're going to be a leader... To put it plain and simple, it's going to cost something. The people that clock in and clock out and and, and they're just worried about every minute minute. Now, now, and they could care less about anything else. They're existing. And I'm not talking about being a slave to your job. I'm not talking about that. But the people that actually care about the assignment God has given them. They're living life. Because they've just decided, God gave me this job. I'm here because God wants me to be here. Matter of fact, God let me have this job so that I could provide for my family. I love my wife. I love my boy. I love my girl. And I want to provide for them. And God, you bless me with this job. You know what? I'm going to do the best I can because that will bring glory to you. That will bring provision for my family. How, how can I do better today? You see the difference? He was a risk taker because he put his cause above his life. Uh, uh, and notice, a true leader will make personal sacrifices and a leader must be willing to give up to go up. I used to think that if you was going to be a leader, you had to put yourself up there. Now, you do have to put yourself out there. But don't put yourself up there. God is the one that does the exalting and God is the one that does the casting down. Listen to this verse. Uh, uh, let's see. Matthew 32, 12. Do we have that on the screen? Uh, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. What is abased? Low. Baseboards. Think about the baseboards in your home. He, he that shall exalt himself shall be abased, made low. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. A leader that doesn't make a name for himself is that guy that goes the extra mile. He humbles himself. He doesn't make a big deal about him. He makes a big deal about others and a big deal about God. And before you know it, he's running the whole show because God has set him up somewhere. Reminds me a lot of Brother Pat Feastel. And I'm not going to finish this, but that's okay. And I won't hold you late either. I know... We don't like to be held hostage, amen? It's okay when preacher's here because it's good, amen? But Pat Feastel came to the Garden City Rescue Mission. I don't remember what year, but it, not long after we opened it. He was a Bible college student 
uh, he was in his, I don't even know how old he was, his late 20s, I don't know, about my age at that time, mid-20s. And Pat had been abused as a kid. His dad, for example, would lock him in the closet for six and eight hours at a time during the day. He, his daddy would go down to the VFW and get drunk. Uh, while his mama was working, he'd come home just in time to get him out of the closet. And he would use the restroom on himself and everything because he was literally locked in the closet. When Pat, God saved Pat, he tried to kill himself and somebody uh, witnessed to him, brought him to church, he wound up getting saved. Then God called him to preach. By the time he came to Bible college, he still couldn't hardly talk good. He, 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 he just, 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 just could, could, couldn't say nothing without stuttering. Really bad. But he could memorize verses. He had like the whole book of Proverbs memorized. And could quote it without a, without a hitch. But he was one of the most backward people that ever came to Bible college because of his upbringing and all this. His teacher looked at him in third grade and said, you won't never be nothing. You don't even need to be in school. You're dumb. His teacher told him that. Pat started coming down to the mission as a, as a freshman in Bible college because he wanted a chance to preach at the mission. I started letting him preach. Then he lost his job because he was witnessing to too many people while he's on the clock. <laughs> he came down to me at the mission. He said, could you use me down here? I said, I sure can. He said, you got a place for me to sleep too because I lost my place. I said, I sure do. If he was here, he'd tell you I put him in a broom closet, but it was a little bigger than a broom closet. It was big enough for a twin bed. He stayed in that little room with a twin bed and a, a, a lamp. And he worked around the mission, cleaning up, mopping, and helping disciple some of them men. Couldn't even talk good to them at that point. But he'd try to win them to the Lord and disciple them. You know who's been the director? Of that mission for about the last five years? That guy. Pat. Amen. He worked. He studied. He preached when other young preachers were off doing other stuff. Having fun. He would go take chances to preach at the jail, at the prison, at the nursing home, at the mission. He applied himself. He worked on his speech. He finally got married. He had a family. And now he's part of our uh, resource clinic team at Unsheltered International, but he's been the director of the mission for about the last four or five years. Amen. I'm telling you this. It's because he didn't try to be a big shot. He was like Epaphroditus. He just loved people. He took some risks, and he tried his best to humble himself by being a servant. And lo and behold, God exalted him. Now he's running the whole show. Somebody give God glory. Amen. I don't want you to go home without the notes filled in, so let me give you this. Number three, he was a tireless worker. A tireless worker. Under that A, I don't know if you have blanks there or not, but a tireless worker must be committed. A tireless worker must be careful. In other words, watch your priorities. The Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Jesus did tell Martha that she was troubled, encumbered about much serving, and Mary, her sister, had chose the good part. In other words, there is a danger. Those of us that are go-getters, there's a danger that we can commit ourselves so much that we can neglect what the first ministry God gave us, which is our home and our family. So a tireless worker must be committed. He must be careful, and he must be consecrated. And then I'm going to go ahead and give you the last point. The last character trait of, the, of this man, Epaphroditus, he was a servant leader. We know that because Paul called him the messenger of the church. And Paul tells the church to give him a hero's welcome when he got back. He both led and served as he became a spokesman for the church in Philippians. How did he do that? Well, he looked for ways to serve. He created ways to serve. And he did not expect 
to be served. Amen? I want to encourage you tonight. Wherever you work, whatever you do in the church, ask God, Lord, how can I do more? How can I lead even if I'm not the leader? Look around. There's something extra to do. There's there's something extra to put your heart into. There's someone that needs extra love. There's someone that needs extra attention. And if we'll apply his character traits to our life, I promise you, we can be a leader that doesn't make a name for ourselves, but makes a difference in the people that God puts in our path. Amen.